Captain Mission from the Pirates Who's Who by Philip Goss. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Arnie Horton. Captain Mission. This unique pirate came of an ancient French family of Provence. He was the youngest of a large family and received a good education. At the age of fifteen, he had already shown unusual distinction in the subjects of humanity and logic, and had passed quite tolerably in mathematics. Deciding to carve a fortune for himself with his sword, he was sent to the academy at Angiers for a year, and at the conclusion of his military studies, his father would have bought him a commission in a regiment of musketeers. But young Mission had been reading books of travel, and begged so earnestly to be allowed to go to sea that his father got him admitted as a volunteer on the French man-of-war Victoire, commanded by Monsieur Forbin. Joining his ship at Marseilles, they cruised in the Mediterranean, and the young volunteer soon showed great keenness in his duties, and lost no opportunity of learning all he could about navigation and the construction of ships, even parting with his pocket money to the boatswain and the carpenter to receive special instruction from them. Arriving one day at Naples, Mission obtained permission from the captain to visit Rome, a visit that eventually changed his whole career. It happened that while in Rome, the young sailor met a priest, a Signor Araccioli, a Dominican, who held most unclerical views about the priesthood, and indeed his ideas on life in general were, to say the least, unorthodox. A great friendship was struck up between these two, which at length led the priest to throw off his habit and join the crew of the victory. Two days out from port they met and fought a desperate hand-to-hand -hand engagement with a Sally pirate, in which the ex-priest and Mission both distinguished themselves by their bravery. Mission's next voyage was in a privateer, the Triumph, and meeting one day an English ship, the Mayflower, between Guernsey and Stark Point, the merchantman was defeated after a gallant resistance. Rejoining the victory, Mission sailed from Rochelle to the West Indies, and Caraccioli lost no opportunity of preaching to young Mission the gospel of atheism and communism, and with such success that the willing convert soon held views as extreme of those of his teacher. These two apostles now began to talk to the crew, and their views, particularly on the rights of private property, were soon held by almost all on board. A fortunate event happened just then to help the new cause. Meeting with an English man of war, the Winchester, off the island of Martinique, a smart engagement took place between the two ships, at the very commencement of which Captain Forbin and three of his officers on the French ship were killed. The fight ended by the English ship blowing up, and an era of speech-making may be said to have begun. Firstly, Signor Caraccioli, stepping forward, made a long and eloquent address to Mission, inviting him to become captain of the victory and calling upon him to follow the example of Alexander the Great with the Persians, and that of the kings Henry the Fourth and Seventh of England, reminding him how Mohammed, with but a few camel drivers, founded the Ottoman Empire, also how Darius, with a handful of companions, got possession of Persia. Inflamed by this speech, young Mishon showed what he could do, when, calling all hands up on deck, he made his first, but as events proved by far from last speech. The result was a triumph of oratory, the excited French sailors crying out, Vive le capitaine, mission, 
et son lieutenant lescavant caraccioli mission returning thanks in a few graceful words promised to do his utmost as their commander for their new marine republic the newly elected officers retiring to the great cabin a friendly discussion began as to their future arrangements the first question that arose was to choose what colors they should sail under the newly elected boatswain matthew le tondu a brave but simple mariner advised the black one as being the most terrifying this brought down a full blast of eloquence from caraccioli the new lieutenant who objected that they were no pirates but men who were resolved to affect the liberty which god and nature gave them with a great deal about guardians of the people's rights and liberties etc and gradually becoming worked up gave the wretched boatswain who must have regretted his unfortunate remark a heated lecture on the soul on shaking the yoke of tyranny off their necks on oppression and poverty and the miseries of life under these conditions as compared to those of pomp and dignity in the end he showed that their policy was not to be one of piracy for pirates were men of no principle and led dissolute lives but their lives were to be brave just and innocent and their cause the cause of liberty and therefore instead of a black flag they should live under a white ensign with the motto for god and liberty embroidered upon it the simple sailors debarred from these councils had gathered outside the cabin but were able to overhear this speech and at its conclusion carried away by enthusiasm loud cries went up of liberty liberty we are free men vive the brave captain mission and the noble lieutenant caraccioli alas it is impossible in the space of this work to do justice to the perfectly wonderful and idealistic conditions of this pirate crew their speeches and their kind acts follow each other in fascinating profusion we can only recommend those who feel disposed to follow more closely the history of these delightful pirates to read the account printed in english in seventeen twenty six if they are fortunate enough to come by a copy the first prize taken by these pirates under the white flag was an english sloop commanded by one captain thomas butler only a day's sail out from st kitts after helping themselves to a couple of puncheons of rum and a few other articles which the pirates needed but without doing any unkindness to the crew nor stripping them as was the usual custom of pirates on such occasions they let them go greatly to the surprise of captain butler who handsomely admitted that he had never before met with so much candor in any similar situation and to further express his gratitude he ordered his crew to man ship and at parting called for three rousing british cheers for the good pirate and his men which were enthusiastically given sailing to the coast of africa Michon took a Dutch ship, the New Stad of Amsterdam. The cargo was found to consist of gold dust and seventeen slaves. In the latter, Captain Michon recognized a good text for one of his little sermons to his crew. So, calling all hands on deck, he made the following observations on the vile trade of slavery, telling his men that the trading for those of our own species could never be agreeable to the eyes of divine justice, that no man had power of the liberty of another and while those who profess a more enlightened knowledge of the deity sold men like beasts they proved that their religion was no more than grimace and that they differed from the barbarians in name only since their practice was in nothing more humane for his part and he hoped he spoke the sentiments of all his brave companions he had not exempted his neck from the galling yoke of slavery and asserted his own liberty to enslave others that however these men 
were distinguished from the Europeans by their color, customs, or religious rites. They were the work of the same omnipotent being, and endued with equal reason. Wherefore he desired that they might be treated like freemen, for he would banish even the name of slavery from among them, and be divided into messes among them. To the end they might the sooner learn their language, be sensible of the obligations they had to them, and more capable and zealous to defend that liberty they owed to their justice and humanity. This speech was met with general applause, and once again the good ship Victory rang with cries of Viva le Capitan Nishon! The Negroes were freed of their irons, dressed up in the clothes of their late Dutch masters, and it is gratifying to read that, by their gesticulations, they shewed they were gratefully sensible of their being delivered from their chains. But alas, a sad cloud was creeping insidiously over the fair reputation of these super-pirates. Out of the last slave ship they had taken, a number of Dutch sailors had volunteered to serve with Mission, and had come aboard as members of his crew. Hitherto no swear word was ever heard, no loose or profane expression had pained the ears of Captain Mission or his ex-priestly lieutenant. But the Dutch mariners began to lead the crew into ways of swearing and drunkenness, which, coming to the captain's notice, he thought best to nip these weeds in the bud. So calling both the French and Dutch upon deck, and desiring the Dutch captain to translate his remarks into the Dutch language, he told them that, before he had the misfortune of having them on board, his ears were never grated with hearing the name of the great creator profaned, though he, to his sorrow, had often since heard his own men guilty of that sin, which administered neither profit nor pleasure, and might draw upon them a severe punishment, that if they had a just idea of that great being, they would never mention him, but they would immediately reflect on his purity and their own vileness, that we so easily took impression from our company, that the Spanish proverb says, let a hermit and a thief live together, the thief would become hermit, or the hermit thief, that he saw this verified in his ship, for he could attribute the oaths and curses he had heard among his brave companions to nothing but the odious example of the Dutch, that this was not the only vice they had introduced, for before they were on board, his men were men, but he found by their beastly pattern they were degenerated into brutes, by drowning that only faculty which distinguishes between man and beast, reason, that as he had the honor to command them, he could not see them run into these odious vices without a sincere concern, as he had a paternal affection for them, and he should reproach himself as neglectful of the common good if he did not admonish them, and as by the post which they had honored him, he was obliged to have a watchful eye over their general interest. He was obliged to tell them his sentiments were that the Dutch allured them to a dissolute way of life, that they might take some advantage over them. Wherefore, as his brave companions, he was assured, would be guided by reason, he gave the Dutch notice that the first whom he catched, either with an oath in his mouth or liquor in his head, should be brought to the jeers, whipped and pickled for an example to the rest of his nation. As to his friends, his companions, his children, those gallant, those generous, noble, and heroic souls he had the honor to command, he entreated them to allow a small time for reflection, and to consider how little pleasure and how much danger might flow from imitating the vices of their enemies, and that they would among themselves make a law for the suppression of what would otherwise estrange them from the source of life 
and consequently leave them destitute of his protection this speech had the desired effect and even afterwards when any of the crew had reason to mention the name of his captain he never failed to add the epithet good before it these chaste pirates soon took and plundered many rich merchant ships but always in the most gentlemanly manner so that none failed to be not a little surprised at the regularity tranquillity and humanity of these new-fashioned pirates from out of one of these an english vessel they took a sum of sixty thousand pounds but during the engagement the captain was killed poor captain mission was broken-hearted over this unfortunate mishap and to show as best he could his regret he buried the body on shore and finding that one of his men was by trade a stone-cutter raised a monument over the grave with engraved upon it the words here lies a gallant english man and at the conclusion of a very moving burial service he paid a final tribute by a triple discharge of fifty small arms and fired minute guns mission now sailed to the island of johanna in the indian ocean which became his future home mission married the sister of the local dusky queen and his lieutenant led to the altar her niece while many of the crew also were joined in holy wedlock to one or more ladies of more humble social standing already mission has received more space than he is entitled to in a work of reference of this kind but his career is so full of charming incidents that one is tempted to continue to unseemly length let it suffice to say that for some years mission made speeches robbed ships and now and again when unavoidably driven to it would reluctantly slaughter his enemies finally mission took his followers to a sheltered bay in madagascar and on landing there made a little speech telling them that here they could settle down build the town that here in fact they might have some place to call their own and a receptacle when age or wounds had rendered them incapable of hardship where they might enjoy the fruits of their labor and go to their graves in peace this ideal colony was called libertatia and was run on strictly socialistic lines for no one owned any individual property all money was kept in a common treasury and no hedges bounded any man's particular plot of land docks were made and fortifications set up soon mission had two ships built called the childhood and the liberty and these were sent for a voyage round the island to map and chart the coast and to train the released slaves to be efficient sailors a session house was built and a form of government arranged at the first meeting mission was elected lord conservator as they called the president for a term of three years and during that period he was to have all the ensigns of royalty to attend him captain tew the english pirate was elected admiral of the fleet of libertatia caraccioli became secretary of state while the council was formed of the ablest amongst the pirates without distinction of nation or color the difficulty of language as french english portuguese and dutch were equally spoken was overcome by the invention of a new language a kind of esperanto which was built up of words from all four for many years this ideally successful and happy pirate utopia flourished but at length misfortunes came one on top of the other and a sudden unexpected attack by the hitherto friendly natives finally drove mission and a few other survivors to seek safety at sea but overtaken by a hurricane their vessel foundered and mission and all his crew were drowned and thus ended the era of what may be called piracy without tears he was the mildest mannered man that ever scuttled ship or cut a throat end of captain mission
from the pirate's who's who by philip goss